2018 is a year of increasing trust. And uh, we have been watching how the Israelites have been going from Egypt. We watched the God teaching them who he was in Egypt by what he did. And then they're on this trip from their deliverance from Egypt going to Sinai where God's going to give them his law, his word. And uh, we're about to get there. But before that, we've had some things God's been teaching them on the way about who he is and what he wants. So he taught them that he, they could depend on him for provision. He gave them food and water in the desert. He taught them that they could depend on him for protection. I talked about the last time I talked, and, and with the Abimelechs, um, the Amalekites attacked them, and um, God protected them. And he showed clearly that it was God that protected them and not the other things there that protected them. Today we're going to look at the next piece, Exodus 18. Um, before we go, I want, I want to know, have you ever been stuck in a, a line or an office or on hold? Anybody ever been stuck there? Yeah, me too. Is it, is it a little frustrating? Yeah, and then doing the uh, going from this thing to that thing to that thing to sometimes back to the place you started, right? Um, such fun. We, we like it when things are available, right? We're going to talk about availability today. Um, so, Jethro and Justice Bringers. Let's turn to Exodus 18. Now, you have a, a, um, a Bible right in front of you. If you didn't bring one in your hand or in your pocket, there is a Bible right with the hymn book in front of you. And I want you to follow along with me there. I didn't put it all up here. We're, Exodus 18 is about Jethro. Jethro is Moses' father-in-law. So remember Moses fled. He went to this other country of Midian. He met this priest called Jethro. And uh, he helped him shepherd his sheep and married his daughter. <clears throat> Sometime in the process, we don't know exactly know when, um, Moses' wife and kids went to his father-in-law for protection or to tell him what had happened or whatever, and now Jethro is bringing them back. And I'm not going to read the whole beginning of this section because I'm going to let Pastor Andrew deal with that a little later. Um, but the cool thing about this is that Jethro is an example of the nations trusting Yahweh. So just before this, we had the Amalekites find out that Israel is coming through Sinai, and what do they do? They attack them. That's one response to what God's doing for other people, for, for God's people. The other response is what Jethro does. He goes and, and brings Moses back, and Moses treats him well, and then Moses tells them everything that God was doing for them, and he says, wow, I had no idea. I realize now that Yahweh is the God above all gods. And he turns and he worships God. And so this is a little fulfillment of that which was promised to Abram. I will bless you and I'll make you a blessing to all nations. And we're going to see in Exodus 19 where that promise is expanded. And Israel takes Abram's place in blessing the nations and being a special priesthood between. That's Andrew's sermon. So I'm not going to go there. But it's a key text. So they have a, a meal together. And then let's turn to verse 13. Uh, this is the, the part that I want to deal with today. Verse 13. And uh, sorry, those of you, I know our NIVs are in the, uh, the, the NIV translation is what you have in front of you. I'm reading out of um, NLT, but you can follow along and you can compare and see how the translations go. So the next day, Moses took his seat to hear the people's disputes against each other. They waited before him from morning till evening. Ever been in a long wait? There they are, waiting from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he asked, what are you really accomplishing here? What are you trying to do this all alone while everyone's standing around you from morning till evening? Everybody likes to be criticized by their father-in-law? 
Moses replied, because the people come to me to get a ruling from God. I'm important. When a dispute arises, they come to me, and I am the one who settles the case between the quarreling parties. I inform the people of God's decrees and give them his instructions. Hey, Dad, I've got an important job. My job description, I talk to God for people, and this is the important thing that I need to do. What's the answer when you ask somebody how they've been? Fine, okay. And busy, yes. That is the usual answer. Um, oh, how you been? Well, it's been busy, right? Why do we say it's been busy? Well, usually, it, yeah, it's been busy. But we also want to say, hey, I'm busy. I, I'm important. I, I've started, I've tried to avoid that because it seems to me like it's just a testament that, that somehow I'm not managing things very well. Um, either I'm doing too much or I'm not doing it very efficiently or I, I should be spending some more time in prayer so I'm not just like busy. I should be effective or, you know, I, I'd, I'd like to be able to say that. Oh, I've been effective um, instead of I've just been busy. Um, you know, but we say busy. So Moses says, I've been busy. I got an important job. Dad, father-in-law, see what I, all these people coming to me. So what does his father-in-law say? This is not good. Oh, so how do you feel about that? You say, how you been? Oh, I've been busy. Well, that's not good. Maybe it's not good. Why have we been busy? That's the real question, right? Why have we been busy? This is not good, Moses' father-in-law exclaimed. You're going to wear yourself out. And the people, too. This job is too heavy a burden for you to handle all by yourself. So sometimes we do too much. Why? Okay, this job is too much for you to handle. Now listen to me and let me give you a word of advice. And may God be with you. So this... I just want you to notice that Moses is getting advice and critique from his father-in-law, who's also not an Israelite, right? It's be interesting to see how he responds to this. You don't understand our ways, you know. You're not. You just. You're a new Christian. You don't really get it. Um, what is it? What, how is he going to respond? Okay, here's his advice. Now listen to me and let me give you a word of advice, and may God be with you. You should continue to be the people's representative before God, bringing their disputes to Him. So you should continue to pray and represent the people's issues to God. Teach them God's decrees and give them his instructions. So you should be teaching them and giving them his instructions. Now, this is anticipation for Sinai, which is the next chapter. But already Moses is telling about God's ways. But he's going to find out about more. So this is anticipation of that. But already he's giving them instructions. He's telling them this is what you should be doing. And then he says, show them how to conduct their lives. So one of the things that as leaders we need to be careful of is that we're showing people how to conduct their lives. So if we say, I'm busy, what do the people following us say? Oh, I should be busy. Right? I, whatever we do, I, you know, I just, I've been so busy, I haven't had any time for my family, I've been whatever. Oh, I, sh I should be busy and not have any time for my family. Or, or, or whatever. Right? What are we examples of? So, but select all the people, select from all the people, some capable, honest men who fear God and hate bribes or hate dishonest gain, the NIV says there. Appoint them as leaders over groups of 1,150 and 10. So you get it? This is a chain of command. So Moses gets to hear from the people we're in charge of a thousand. They get to hear from the people who are in charge of a hundred. They get to hear from two people under them who are in charge of 50. And that guy gets to hear from five people under him who are in charge of 10. Notice the difference though. You have a dispute. There is somebody for every 10 people to go to and say, Hey, we, you know, me and my neighbor, we got this thing. And that person, should be available. He's only got 10 people 
to look out for, right? You following me? Okay. And it says, that's the next thing it says, they should always be available to solve the people's common disputes. But have them bring the major cases to you. Let the leaders decide the small matters themselves. They will help you carry the load, making the task easier for you. Notice the let the people decide the small matters themselves. Ever notice that it's sometimes hard to give away the keys? Right? You know, you're like, okay, um, go open that up. I'll, I'll open it up for you. I don't want to give you a key to keep, right? We need to give away keys to our kids sometimes, to, uh, to, to leaders, to other people, and say, you know what? Um, take the keys, take care of it, and tell me about it when you're done. But sometimes we want to, I'll go with you, just to make sure you do it right. But he says, no, let them decide the small matters for themselves. Now, if it's too difficult, okay, then it can come to you. So this is what, if you follow this advice, and if God commands you to do so. So Jethro is saying, you know, well, the question there is, is it an if, or if he's actually in the, in the Hebrews, he's saying, this is God's command, or is he saying, if God commands you. In any case, he's saying, you know, this isn't just my idea. If God is behind this, then you should do this. Not just because I'm your father-in-law. Then you will be able to endure the pressures, and all these people will go home in peace. They will have shalom. They'll have peace. Because if they have a dispute, they get immediate attention to their dispute, and they can have shalom, they can have peace in the community because everybody's got somebody who they can go to, and if it's too tough, it can go to somebody else who can help you handle it. And um, so Moses listened to his father-in-law's advice, we're in verse 24, and followed his suggestions. He chose capable men from all over Israel and appointed them as leaders over the people. He put them in charge of groups of a thousand, a hundred, fifty, and ten. These men were always available to solve the people's common disputes. They brought the major cases to Moses, but they took care of the smaller matters themselves. Soon after this, Moses said goodbye to his father-in-law, who returned to his own land. He sent him off with good will. So um, I want you to notice that they are always available. And if it's a tough case, it can go up to the hundred or a thousand or whoever. And if it's really tough, it'll get to Moses. And all of them are representing God to people and people to God. In, but Moses ultimately is doing that. So here's Moses' first job description was do everything, right? Take care of everybody's issues. His new job description, prayer, be the people's representative before God. Teach God's law, God's word, and show how to conduct their lives. Model this for them. That's his job description. Now, it's still got to be a pretty tough job description because um, he gets all the major cases. And when everybody's upset, you know, there's times Moses is still pretty stressed out. But still, this makes it manageable for him. Notice, now, why was Moses doing this? Um, the, the NLT study Bible has a nice little note to explain this, I think. Um, first of all, it says, Jethro's wise advice is a further example of God's providence, although it was not given in a miraculous way. Remember, God had pr pr given them manna. He had protected them. Here he's given another Way he's giving him good advice. Can you sometimes get good advice from just some secular person or somebody who's who uh, is a new Christian or somebody who? Yeah, sometimes we can get some good good insight from other people. God, but it's still from God, even if you don't think of the person as a as a mouthpiece for God. So Jethro introduced Moses to a style of leadership that involved delegation of authority. It appears that Moses had been following an Egyptian style of leadership that was heavily hierarchical and based on circumstances. No Egyptian law code has yet been discovered. It appears that all authority flowed downward from the pharaoh who ruled by fiat. Jethro proposed a structure of delegation that would make Moses' life easier. Did you catch that? 
So all the stuff we have preserved in Egypt, all these monuments to the pharaohs and to the gods and whatever, we don't have any law. Isn't that, a, isn't that surprise you? Because Pharaoh was the son of Ra. You know, he just said, do this, do that, don't do this. And, and he might change his mind with the next person about what it should be. If you do a law, then you might have to stick with that. He just said what he thought it should be in each case. How available do you think that justice was to the lowest people? And notice there's no law. But with God giving a law and saying, this is the way, it's, this is my character, this is my intention for you, that law then becomes available to everyone. That's incredible. You know, we get upset. You Sometimes we're like, oh, you know, the law, so whatever. There's, there's a great um, story. This is actually from, from Mesopotamia, but, but this prayer that's recorded. Oh, God or goddess who I know or do not know, please tell me what I did wrong. I, I feel it. I feel guilty, but I don't know what I did. You recognize that people can feel guilt. We are privileged to know that this is what God expects. And so we don't just have to feel guilty. We can say, oh, that wasn't what God intended. So Moses is able to say, this is God's instructions, and everybody can know that. And then they can say, oh, does that match the instructions or not? Do you realize how much we've taken for granted, how much we've inherited from that, both delegation schemes and the fact that there is a law? The fact that we have the Word of God to follow in church, the fact that we have laws in the country that everybody is supposed to know, not just, oh, like, well, there's this other thing you didn't know anything about. You following me? Okay. Um, so let, let's look a little bit more at this. Um, in Deuteronomy, there is a repeat of this. So Deuteronomy is Moses' sermon at the end of their time, just before they go into the land. And he's explaining what happened, and he's also giving them instructions for how things are going to be different now when they go in the land. So sometimes, you know, I was trying to think, we're, we're moving up to, to talking about the law. I'm trying to think about, well, how do we apply that law to a different circumstance? And I realized they've been doing that all the way through Scripture. Even in Deuteronomy, Moses says, you know, we did this here, and now in the land, law, you're going to, in the land, you're going to do it differently. So in Deuteronomy 16 and 17, he says, you know, before you brought cases to me, now you're going to bring cases to the place where God will put his name. So like in Jerusalem, where, where the tabernacle is, where the temple is, and whoever's there, the priest or the official, the judge is going to decide it for you. So they already change, keep the spirit of this, but change it to somebody other than Moses. Also, they have... Um, Places of refuge where people can run to if they're accused. And uh, we'll, we'll get there in a minute. But let's Deuteronomy 1 repeats this story. Okay? So I took the wise and respected men you had selected from your tribes and appointed them to serve as judges and officials over you. Notice that in this situation it shows that it wasn't just Moses knew who every, everybody was and every ten people. He, he could figure out all those leaders. He actually took you selected... I appointed from your tribes and appointed them to serve as judges and officials of you. Some were responsible for a thousand people, some for a hundred, some for fifty, and some for ten. At that time, instructed the judges, you must hear the cases of your fellow Israelites and the foreigners living among you. Be perfectly fair in your decisions and impartial in your judgments. Hear the cases of those who are poor as well as those who are rich. Don't be afraid of anyone's anger, for the decision you make is God's decision. So you should fear God. Bring me any cases that are too difficult for you, and I will handle them. So I want you to notice that one of the things here was that it was supposed to be completely fair and impartial. If the person was poor or rich, it shouldn't matter. If they were an Israelite or a foreigner, it should, they should both get justice. And so that's why we talk about justice being blind, right? holding the scales and, and being blind. The point is, they sh in fact, this, this says they should come as if they have masks, as if they have no faces. You shouldn't see the face of this person. You should treat them as if you can't see who they are, whether they're rich or poor or foreigner or not, or um, man or woman, etc. Okay? 
Um, so, the idea is they're supposed to have fair and available justice. That's the goal. Got it? The point is fair and available justice for everyone. Remember, this is a, we have a just God. He wants things to go well, relationships to be good. So, just laws clearly taught to all. Everybody knows what the laws are. Everybody has the law available to them. In fact, as we go through Scripture, it gets more and more available. Because it even says, when we get the promises, they're going to have the law written on their hearts. We have the Word of God not only available, and, and not only in a scroll someplace, but in our smartphones, or our shelves, or in front of you on the pew. That's amazing. So we can know what God wants. Clearly taught to all. And then there should be fair judges for all people. Everybody should have somebody available to them. Cities of refuge within one or at most two days walk. If you look where the cities of refuge were, you'll see that they were placed so that if someone was, so the idea was somebody kills somebody accidentally, they can run within a day to that city of refuge and then it will be decided before the family just kills them because you killed my brother, I'm going to kill you. You know, maybe the axe head just flew off, it wasn't intentional, then the person is let off. They get a just hearing, and it's available. It's close. Okay? One day for most of Israel, and sometimes two days, but no farther to get to a just justice. So final question, is this the case in our society? Is the case in our church? Those are the two, two things I want us to, to look at. Is this a, the case in our society? Um, Pastor Mike, if you would come, you know, Pastor Mike is always in the back. You never see him because he's translating into Swahili for us. Um, but I want to praise God that we have this ideal in our society. Isn't that true? We have the ideal that we have a constitution. We have laws that are available for everyone, right? And then we have a system that's based on this. A court system where you're supposed to have local courts, and then you have district courts, and you have regional courts, you have a supreme court that decides the toughest cases, right? We have, we have this designed in our society based upon this very plan, right? So... I am proud to be an American. I'm proud we have that system written that way. You know, I have a couple friends in Tanzania, some missionary friends. Well, you guys know Nate and Heidi Hinton. They can't have visas to do what they were doing in Tanzania, so they're not in Tanzania anymore. Tim and Chris Gilmore, some of you know, who are from here, and um, their visa expired because they said, you know what, you should be training somebody else within five years, and this is the final visa. They've been there 16 doing translation work, for translating the Bible. They're... They're not sure what to do next. Um, so, and the, the way it, anyway, so I'm back to talking about our society. Um, so my question was, who's available for Pastor Mike? Now, I asked Pastor Mike to share his testimony, but then he said, you know, he said yes, and then he said, you know, I'm not really up to it. But he said, you can, you can talk about it. So I think most of you know Pastor Mike. Pastor Mike was in Eastern Congo. He was working with Campus Crusade for Christ. He was working among college students, and that got him in trouble. Just trying to disciple college students. Because why? Because the armed groups wanted those college students to fight for them. So the rebel groups would try to take them, the government would try to take them for their sides, and so Mike got beat up for preventing that by those armed groups. So when he came here for one of our conferences on a visitor visa, he asked for asylum because it was dangerous for him to continue to do his work because everybody thought he was on the other people's side and they were after him. Do you remember when that was? That was six years ago, 2012. So who's available for Mike in this situation? Where is that city of refuge for him? Where is the judge to help him with that case? Well, I was really glad this week, Wednesday, um, a bunch of us, mostly his fellow ministry coordinators, he's our ministry coordinator for evangelism as well as you know, pastor in the International Christian Fellowship. A bunch of us were at the court down at Fort Snelling here to, to have his case heard. He's been waiting six years 
to have his case heard for asylum. Now, why is that? Um, they told him, well, first we've got to deal with families who are, you know, children who are here from, Mex from uh, basically, there's been other priorities because what? We have four judges, four immigration judges serving this whole area, not just Minnesota, but the whole area. It used to be three, and some, some retired, there was only two. So they, he was going to have it, and then they said, oh, no, we only have one judge, two judges. So he's been waiting for six years to have his day in court. So we all went, and the, his, his, um, his uh, lawyer, Michelle Rivero, is next to him there in the white. Um, she has given him two years. For two years, he's been collecting documents. She's done this pro bono. She's done it for free to help him collect this thick thing of documents. So we were all excited to go and be there and support him. She said, you know, if you could be there to moral support for him and also, you know, the, good for the judge and others to see that, you know, he's got people with him. And so we went there, and then um, we, uh, they started, the Department of Homeland Security a lawyer started going through, I object to that one, and I object to that one, I object to that one, I object to, so he just, well, I don't know how many, six, eight of the, of the files they objected to, because, well, they weren't original. So I, for example, wrote a, a letter and um, had it notarized, and then sent a scan, Liz sent a scanned copy to the lawyer. They said, no, 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 that's, that's scanned. That's not an original. And uh, where's his birth certificate? Well, it turned out, the judge said, what's that in your hand that you got there? Oh, oh well, I guess this is maybe the originals that he turned over to Homeland Security when he came. Um, anyway, so they, all these, so it took an hour and a half to do that. Finally, they figured out, we're not going to have enough time. They said, well, Pastor Justin, what is his alien card number? He's a U.S. citizen. Well, he, was he always a U.S. citizen? He must have had an alien card number sometime. We're not going to let him testify unless we know what his alien card number was. So I was like, wow, really? There, so on the one hand, the judge was really kind. And I was really proud that we have a justice system where it's not just some official says, get out of here. We actually have a justice system where people are brought to the court. Um, and, and so I was, and, and just, you know, was she spoke kindly to Mike and asked him questions in a kind way, but then the, the system was very um, nitpicky in my opinion. So the, the university expert witness, they said, well, we're not going to take his testimony unless we can get him on the phone. So well, he did this for free. Well, you know. So anyway, in the end, there was not going to be enough time that afternoon to try the case. So they decided, well, we'll not try the case. Um, so when's the next date? Well, January. And next June. And his lawyer, who spent these two years with him, is taking a different job so she can't represent him. So another, hopefully another free lawyer can represent him. And so he was, he was wanting to see his family for six years. He can't travel there. They can't travel here until this case is decided. Can we pray for Pastor Mike? Because he was... Um, yeah, you know, he was teary-eyed by the time we were done with this, and um, so was his lawyer, actually, because she was, she said, oh, I've never seen him be that nitpicky. Um, so let's just pray for Pastor Mike. Lord, we pray for Pastor Mike. We pray for comfort to him. We pray for you to do your work. We pray for your solution to this case of his. We pray that he would be welcomed. We pray that he would be free to be here and free to be there, that you would give him peace, safety, and security for him and his family. That you would give him justice and shalom. Amen. We thank you for him being with us in all the ways that he serves us every week. Amen. Thank you. Um, so the next day, Tonka had his hearing. Ben and Liz and uh, others were there. And Tonka is going to be deported unless there is a there's an appeal, um, but that's that's the uh, that's the outcome in that in that case. So we Tonka, who is from the Himalayan Christian Fellowship, some of you know, is is going to be deported from what unless the appeal in a month or so. Um, now he's going to be deported, but. He doesn't really have a country, so Bhutan might not take him, Nepal might not take him, so he might, it's not clear if he's going to be deported but live here. 
Um, so it, it's, it's pray for Tonka. And a lot of you know Tonka and, and his situation. So, um, so I started investigating this further and thinking, well, you know, what's going on? So there's actually only four judges for all the people here. And, and we have a bunch of immigrants in jail. In, in Minnesota, we are spending a million dollars a month to imprison immigrants. And, um, and <clears throat> there are, I think, about 600 immigrants in prison right now. And there are... Um, so this was what really kind of shook me was there was a law passed. Now, this is not... I'm not being partisan here, okay? This law was passed by Democrat Robert Byrd, originally with the House Appropriations Committee, that we must keep 34,000 immigrants in jail. We have a quota that we have to keep. Or sometimes they interpret it as, well, we have to have that many beds available for immigrants. But they actually set bond based upon, well, how many beds do we have? So, so we... So I was kind of upset because my people, Mike is my people. But my people is also this judge and, and this Department of Homeland Security lawyer that I'm paying. And of course, that's not, I'm not paying them very much. I'm paying a lot more to imprison people. In fact, we're paying $5.5 million a day on imprisoning immigrants in America. Um, Partially because we have a quota. Of course, we're actually over the quota now. Um, so, um, is are we living up to our ideals that are based, really scripturally based, that people should have available justice, and everybody should, whether they're poor or rich or black or white or foreigner or not? That's um, a good question. And there are some things we can do about it. There's there's a, a a bill in Congress right now related to mass incarceration. It only deals with the, the, the um, doesn't deal with mandatory minimums and some other things, but it deals with the people going back. Um, so that's a, a good thing. Um, and I know there's other stuff been in the news, and not just about us this week related to um, families being separated. Why do we have, so now we're just going to imprison families together and have zero tolerance for, it's a, sorry, anyway, I don't want to get off on that. But my point is this. We're supposed to have justice available. Now, we're not responsible for everything that happens everywhere. But as Christians, who are also citizens, or maybe some of us aren't citizens yet, but who are here, we have a responsibility to do our part as members of this for, for justice, right? So that the the USA is never going to be the kingdom of God. I'm not trying to say that. I'm just saying that as a citizen, I need to vote right, write my congressman, do what I can to, to get enough judges available to everyone so that they can have real justice um, and pass laws that, that make sense. Um, like, why couldn't we keep people with an ankle bracelet instead of keeping them in jail? Well, the real reason is that private companies own prisons and they want to make money off of it and they have lobbyists um, so they need to hear our voice and not just their voice so anyway um, sorry to be so I'm not trying to be political I'm trying to talk about justice we need to do things for our people as our people so justice bringers what does it say their qualifications should be here? It says they should be capable. They should be wise. Then it talks about their character. It says they should be honest, trustworthy. They should fear God, not people. They should hate dishonest gain. They should be impartial. Now I want you to notice, and then one other thing, capacity. They should always be available for every 10 people, including the poor and foreigners. We should have those kind of people bringing justice in society and also in the church. So if you notice, as you go through Scripture, these same kind of qualifications are used for leaders over and over again. Even when it talks about when you get a king, he shouldn't have a lot of silver and gold. Really? A king without a lot of silver and gold? No, he should hate dishonest gain. We, when we look um, in the New Testament, in the New Testament church, 
What did Jesus do first? He selected and trained disciples who he made sent ones, apostles. Sometimes he sent out 72 and 12, and, but he was intensively training them. That's the first thing Jesus did was to get a people. Because God's goal is to have a people. Not just individual salvations. You, you have a right relationship. He wants a people who live in justice and shalom. And so that, that is what God is after. He trained them. And then in Acts 2, you remember the Holy Spirit came, just like the Holy Spirit had come in, uh, from Moses and was put on these other leaders in a different passage. The Holy Spirit came on everyone. Remember in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came on particular people for particular jobs. Remember that? And they, um, they responded. They were able to, to do things in, in, with the Holy Spirit's power. But in the church, the Holy Spirit comes on everyone. Everyone is gifted with something for the community and beyond the community. Okay? So that means that the New Testament church is different from, we're way far beyond Moses and his delegation of a few people, right? Acts 6, the, uh, the apostles. Now, I want you to notice, in, in the New Testament, there is always a plural leadership. You ever notice that? It doesn't really tell you who the pastor of this church or the pastor of that church was. It talks about the elders of this church and the deacons in that church and the apostles. It doesn't say the president of the apostles. It doesn't tell us that there's a, a plural, a group of leaders. So the deacons, what, what was actually happening was some people in the church who spoke one language weren't getting as much food for their widows as ones in the other part of the church, right? So they complained. That would never happen. No tribalism in Kenya or Tanzania or here, right? So what did they do? They appointed a group. So they were Hebrew-speaking. And what they did was they appointed a group of deacons who were all Greek-speaking. And they told them, take care of the money. We're just going to deal with the Word of God and prayer, primarily. That sounds like what Moses did, didn't it? They, he taught the Word of God. He represented the people before God, and he showed them how to live. That was his job description. Um, so in, in this church, we have some elders. Could I have the elders stand up? <clears throat> and the elders, some of whom aren't here or are ministering elsewhere, the elders, are they represent you before God. They actually have a list for, of, of divided out about people who they are representing before God, who they are praying for. Thank you. Um, they are caring for you. Can I, um, well, let me just do one more thing here. First Timothy 3, qualifications for elders and deacons. I'm going to let you look that up. But you'll notice that the same qualifications are repeated as were before. And I want you to notice one other thing. You see how character is the long list? When you look through the qualifications in Scripture for leaders, it's almost all character. They should be capable. They should be wise. Got that covered. But character, now we want to talk about all this stuff about their character. When you look at the qualifications for elders and deacons, it's almost all character. They should be able to teach. Beyond that, it's almost all character. Character is what matters for leaders. We need people who are honest, trustworthy, fear God, don't hate dishonest gain. They're impartial. Character is also something that only God can give us. And only he can give us leaders with real character. So that's what we hope for and look for in our leaders, in the church, and elsewhere. Ephesians 5 says that... Um, the ministers are for the equipping of the saints. So this is on the front of your bulletin. You can't possibly read it there. But um, this, was a, this is a little bit outdated, but an org chart for Bethel Christian Fellowship. And uh, I want you to notice, if you look at your bulletin, 
in the foundation there is prayer. Connecting with God. That's the soil. The rock there is the Word of God. So that all have instruction in the Word of God. The water there is the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. And we used to talk way back, before Pastor Jim, we talked about the truth of the Word and the life of the Spirit. We, we want both of those happening. And out of that comes life, comes joy, comes love as we're rooted and grounded in, in God's love. And, and the elders and the support staff are part of the trunk Part of this isn't implying that nobody can draw directly from that, right? But um, in the church, we're in ministry formation. Ephesians 5 says we're supposed to be equipping the saints so they can do the ministry. So you'll notice out on the outside it says ministers. We have ministers, all the leaves are ministering. They're collecting their own energy from the sun and they're producing food and they're ministering and they're producing fruits. And um, Beyond that, we notice we have ministry coordinators. Could the ministry coordinators stand up? Who are here? Julie already said what she does. Lynn's on personnel. Anna's on um, benevolence, worship. Um, we're missing a few this morning. But by the way, if you want to be part of those ministries, look up the ministry coordinators. Um, that's part of how we do this. You'll notice also there's a connect group leaders. There's a number of different connect group we had different names for them, life groups, clusters, um, mosaic groups, and we have different ones meeting. And then there's also different groups that do ministries together and so forth. Now, if you are not part of some kind of small group, we'd love you to get connected with some kind of small group. Maybe you should lead a small group. Um, so don't just wait for, you know, somebody to track you down and say, please be part of my group. Um, you might need to say, could, could I lead a group? Um, or could you tell me about some of the other groups? I'm really passionate about this ministry. Is there somebody doing something? You know, benevolence. We're doing, we're doing uh, stuff for, for refugees and welcome kits and different things like that. People are into that. People, if you want to help with that, maybe we need to do not just welcome kits, but advocacy because we don't have that many takers on the, on the welcome kits right now because of the reduced number of refugees. So um, there's different things. that. So here is the ideal that we want to see happen. And I don't have the perfect system. I'm not, maybe I need a Jethro to advise me on how, Cherry's been helping me, but uh, she's our administrator. I got a nice little list here of some of the things. We went through a list of people and, and where they're connected but I would like every one of you to be part of a group of, say, 10, who you know, who you can connect. So when you go in the hospital, you have a crisis, there's something in your marriage, you know who to talk to. And it gets dealt with right away because those people know you, they've been following you, they've been tracking with you with this issue, you've been praying together about that, and they're like, okay, let's help you with that. And they're bringing you meals and they're doing stuff. That's what we want to have happen. And it, ha and it happens to a great extent. And I would love to have it come up from there to me. Pastor Jim did way more than I could do. So people had problems, they called Pastor Jim, and then Pastor Jim figured out who was going to do it often. I, I don't know if I have that capacity. Personally, I'm doing a quarter of my time in Africa, right? So um, that was good. And I, now, don't get me wrong, I don't want to be way away so I never hear about anything. I, I, and I'm happy when people call me, but it doesn't mean I can always get to the hospital. I'm going to confess my weaknesses. Stanley was in the hospital for three and a half weeks. I got there once. But Andrew got there, Ben got there, a whole bunch of other people got there. And, and I could say that people are bringing meals to different people. And, and um, I think it's really cool how things happen organically and also organized. So Tom and Kathy have a group that they hang out with. And people go to them, and they have a group. They, they take care of each other. There's other men's groups and different things happening. That's what we want to have happen. And if you're not connected, I pray you get connected. And if you are, should be one of those leaders, I pray God talks to you or you talk to us, um, don't wait for us to talk to you about possibly 
because it feels to me like some of the older people are in good, tight groups. Some of the newer people like me, we're not quite sure which group we should be in. Maybe we should revive women's fellowship or men's or, or uh, maybe the kayak society will really take off like we had a good time the other um, two weeks ago. The society, the squirrels is doing really well. Um, but, uh, you know, we need to uh, figure out how to find ways to, ideally, it happens in small groups and it comes up. I, I get plenty of big issues, so they come up to me. But um, so that we, and even as, it's not even just me, we as a staff are dealing with different things and, and handling different things, and the elders and the, and the ministry coordinators. And I think it's great, and I want to see more of it. That's basically what I'm saying. Um, so let me just give you a little bit of my story and part of why I think that when I went, oh, let me back up even farther. My brother Nathan went to Tanzania to help uh, Ron Mlongetcha start a Bible school. There was 150 churches in Tanzania with Pefa and maybe 40, 50 in Burundi at the time, and they didn't have any Bible schools. So they decided to put it in Kigoma so that people could come from different countries to this one Bible school. Well, then they decided, no, actually, we need another Bible school in Burundi. So when I was there in 86, I was there for the second session of the Bible school in Kigoma and the first one in Burundi. And then right after I left it, I said, no, we actually need another one up in, in Mwanza. So they started another Bible school in Mwanza. When I eventually went, you guys sent me in January 95, I went to this Bible school, uh, which is pictured there, and there were 35 students, and they, they had just had their first graduating class, and, and I was made principal. And I figured out, and I, I got two hours of training from the former missionary principal, and he told me to... to uh, you know, he gave me a spreadsheet about how much salt and how much flour each student should have. And, and I was like, wow, really? And so I, I figured out that I was responsible for books and teachers and curriculum. And if the pipe breaks and uh, money, it was mine. I was the principal. And so I talked to, to uh, John Monslima and I said, you know, and we teased each other about who was the Mkua Shule, who was the principal or the president of the, of the college. And, um, and, Eventually, I started, well, so we started a board. So these are the guys that were on the board. Um, John, Raphael, Vanessa, Nestori, some of you know them, especially John, who visited here. Um, and when I went to John, you know, they're, they're, we were supposed to start this board, and he said, let's just pick the people who are really committed to the school. So we did. One other person is no longer there, but these guys, we have been the board of the school now and, and worked on it. It's kind of it's a little bit strange because they're the board and the action. They, they are the deans of the school as well. And John is the principal now. Um, and you know what resulted from that? Benesta said, you know, we really need a school in Musoma. And I was like, you know, they can drive here. It's not that far. I could get a bus, you know, whatever. He said, no, and we do it. So I said, okay, you do it. Figure out, we'll bring books and teachers. You figure out the rest of it. So he did. And Gara said the same thing. So Nestori took care of that. And then we started doing seminars of various kinds. And then they we did a theological education by extension training. And they're like, so what are we going to do now? I said, well, do it. And, and Nestori did it. They, they did it. So there's now there are 550. Yeah, that number was right. It was 35 when I went there. Now there's 550 because they're in three different locations plus theological education by extension. They've had a record number this time, this time 187 students in the three locations. And you know why? Because I'm doing less. Actually, um, so we, we did all these job descriptions and we wrote down stuff about well, what would this person do and that person do. And, and, and then I wrote to Chester Wood, who was my Jethro, and he said, uh, he was my professor at Bethel. He was at Nairobi and he said, uh, you know, this is still too much of a one-man show. You shouldn't be doing all that. Um, you know, why don't you get out of the way? You've been talking about studying for a while. Why don't you go study? Let them handle it. As long as you're there, they'll always be looking at you like, is that okay? So I went and studied in Chicago for two years to work on my PhD. And, I th you know, I, it was, like, revolutionary to me. Like, the best thing I could do is leave? Um, give them a chance. And they didn't want it. Nobody wanted it. Um, but they handled it. And I came back, and then, then I was writing about, you know, Hannah doesn't have uh, – she's, she's running out of schooling options. What should we do about that? And – Chet wrote and said, you know what? We need a missions professor up there here. I think you're, maybe you're done. Maybe those guys are ready. Why don't you come up here, send her to school, teach missions here, and work with them from a distance? 
And you know what? It worked. They stepped up, and they've, they've, they've done more. And yeah, I still have a role. I still help to, to connect and, and raise funds and do other things and give advice. And, and there's stuff for me to do. But if I had kept doing all the stuff I was doing at the beginning, and of course I had to figure it out to start with, but if I kept doing all the stuff, I would still be there with 35 students, I think, maybe 50. But because there were other people, and the other thing is, these guys are great at delegating too. These guys are great at raising up new leaders. And so they don't do it all themselves either. They are connected to other people who are connected to other people. And so over 22 years, we've built a lot of trust. Sorry, that was the picture with, uh, they don't look like that anymore. They're getting a little older. Um, unlike me, but uh, um, so, so the goal is fair and available justice, justice bringers. And you know, what was the end? They all went home with shalom. So you don't get to peace and shalom without justice and good decisions, right? So fair and available justice is the goal. So we need available leaders of character who are capable, who are skilled. In this church, pray for available leaders of character and capable to work in this church and for us to send from this church and for us to have doing things in our community that need to be done. Not just to serve us, but that we can accomplish things. We need to pray for our church and our society and not and other churches and other societies, that this ideal would not just be an ideal, but we'd get closer to the reality of everybody being connected, everybody being able to hear from God and be represented to God in our disputes, whether they're in our marriages or with our kids or with our neighbor or with somebody else in the church, get settled quickly and wisely and biblically. Promote justice. Promote just systems and relationships. We need to promote relationships, but we also need to promote systems of relationships. So you know what? I, I know I'm pushing, and I, I was encouraged by the be strong and courageous <laughs> song we sang earlier, because this is scary to me. Um, but it said don't be afraid of people, right? So... Um, but we have done a good job of welcoming people individually. We can do better, but we've done a good job of welcoming people and taking care of people. Pastor Mike has been welcomed by our community, and he has certainly served us more than we've served him. But hospitality is part of it. But if the system isn't hospitable, maybe it's not good enough because... He's stuck in limbo. And we need to also work at the systemic issues, the justice issues, um, the mass incarceration issues, the, the immigration issues. We need to figure out how to do that. And that's not easy for us. And I'm not saying we're going to become a liberal church, social gospel, whatever. No, this is just what God wants to be reflected, his character. Okay? I... We're still about the gospel, we're still about good news, we're still about being the kingdom of God. And that should affect other things in our society, not just what we do in these four walls. Am I right? Um, and we need just systems and relationships in this community too. We don't always get it right as a church. And help us. If you got, by the way, if you have some good advice for me, I'll try to be like Moses. And take the critique and take the, take the criticism and see what, what's good in there and see what we can do about it. Tell me what we can, or actually talk to Ben. He, he appreciates critique. No. Um, <laughs> no. Um, or the elders or all of us. We want to be a better community. And, and we need advice from each other to do that. Um, I want you to make each of us, this is a challenge to each of us, make yourself available to seek relationship and learning and justice and shalom. I don't know exactly what that's going to mean for you.
You're going to have to pray about that. I'm praying about this. This week was uh, um, kind of upsetting to me. I'm trying to figure out what am I supposed to do about that. And I got some advice. Michelle Rivero sent me some advice and some the Christian um, lawyers and re- dealing with immigration issues and so forth. But um, one thing is just what Julie said. Get in your zip code. Figure out who's in your zip code and have them over for dessert. That's a great way to develop a, a small group, right? We can have dessert groups. We've had dinners for, dinners for fun. We can have divert, dessert for fun. Um, I'm in a new zip code, so I, I've got a brand new assignment um, to find people who are in my, my, zip, my zip code. So, um, so I don't have the perfect how, how, how here. Like, how are we going to do this and how are we going to do that? Um, and we, um, Peg and some others have been de- designing a women's group survey to see about a, a women's group. And I said, well, maybe we need to tweak it so we could find out about other groups that people might want to be part of. I, I think we, we have some ways to go on that. But at the same time, this church is blessed. I look out here and I see people of character and experience and skill and spiritual. Um, it is not like we have no leaders. And they're not all old. I see some young ones out here too. Um, we can not only serve each other, but we can serve our community. We can serve this, this Twin Cities. And we can serve beyond many other countries. Because God has given us some great leaders. And uh, we might need to get it organized, but maybe not my forte. Jerry will help me out. Somebody else will help me out. Some of you out there, that's your thing, right? You need to help us figure this out. Um, Julie's doing her job. She just gave you a great idea. Um, so let's pray. And, um, and if the worship team would come. We're going to we're gonna close. I don't have a, a perfectly neat thing for you today except this. Work on relationships and seek justice. And walk humbly before your God. I think that's the... Uh, um, let's pray. Lord, we come to you today and we confess our weakness. We confess our limitations. Lord, all of us are limited. We look at our schedules and we say, we're busy. We have a lot going on. But Lord, I pray that you'd help us to get good advice, to read your word, to be connected with you, so that we can be more than busy. Lord, so that we can be efficient, effective, so that we can be bringing justice. That we can be living in shalom, in peace. Lord, we ask you to work in us so that we, not just individually, but as a community, in this church, with the other churches in the Twin Cities, and as the Twin Cities, and as a worldwide church, that we can be living up to these ideals that you've put out for us. Lord, I want us to have everybody to have a group that they can connect with, that they can know and be known by. Lord, I I pray that each of us would be ministering in ways we can, yes, in our busyness. And Lord, I pray that each thing that we're busy with would be a place that you would work. Help us to analyze our schedules and our budgets and figure out what we can do. But help us to have real relationships that are producing justice and shalom in our families, our neighborhoods, our church, our workplaces. God, you know what the next step is for each of us. You know what the next step is for us as a church. God, we want to be an example of that kingdom of God, just, holy, and great kingdom of God that you are building in this earth. Do your work in us. Help us to be available. 
Help us to be available to those who are needy. Help us to be available to each other. Help us to be available to those around us. And I pray that you'd build the character we need to be able to represent you, your word, and to represent people to you 